This is the Medical Republic podcast. I'm Felicity Nelson. You might have heard of Cabago. It's that small town in New South Wales' south coast that the fires tore through on New Year's Eve. It's also the town that Prime Minister Scott Morrison, perhaps unwisely, decided to pay a visit to. That's where he got heckled by locals and had a rather awkward moment attempting to shake one of their hands. Well, I was away in Melbourne at the time of New Year's Eve because every year I travel down to Melbourne to see my son. Today I'm speaking with Dr Tracy Lucas Ramadan, a GP at Cabago Doctors. It took three days to get back here. Fields all along both sides of the highway. There's, you know, it was just scorched, black trees, charcoal, um, dead animals along the roadway. Um, Yeah, it was just very surreal. Got to the town. um, Basically... All the old wooden wooden buildings that had been there for a long, long time, a lot of history, and the town were basically just raised to the ground. And uh, I then decided to call into the local Cabago showgrounds, and that had basically become the unofficial evacuation centre for a lot of people. It was great to see that the uh, welfare agencies and other emergency services had already set themselves up in person there. Myself and my colleague, um, we were very eager to get back here because obviously the community and the patients needed to have medical care. So it was very fortunate that the practice was still um, unscathed. So basically, we opened from Tuesday, the 7th of January, operating with no power. So basically, you know, well, we were working with paper and pen and paper scraps, um, you know, no access to computer records. So you were basically just doing everything the old school way and you could still give people medical care. Um, I found a lot of patients, once they realised we were here, that they were just popping in to say hello just express their gratefulness at the fact that the practice hadn't burnt down and that we were here giving care. Um, When I opened on the Tuesday, I had a little generator, but even just getting um, fuel to run that generator was a problem because they were reserving fuel, obviously, for the um, emergency services, which is understandable. Being back at work, there's been many presentations of people with um, worsened respiratory problems, so people with pre-existing 
eczema, pre-existing asthma, uh, lots of presentations of you know shortness of breath, infective exacerbations of COPD and asthma. Um, or oh, people who have lost everything, so their scripts were burnt, their med medications were burnt, so lots of people coming in for replacements of scripts for, you know, so they could get their medications. Um, and then I think as the shock starts to wear off, and reality starts to set in, we're certainly going to see a lot more mental health issues, um, you know, probably post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, people who already have pre-existing psychiatric issues um, will now have this compounded by the traumatic experiences they've been through. Um, a lot of the older residents who've been in this area for a long time have said to me that this is absolutely the worst thing that they've ever lived through. And some of these people have previously lived through other bushfires in 1952, was one that they were quite commonly saying and they just said there were just walls of fire um, coming down the road or across the paddocks and you could hear the oxygen just being sucked in. Uh, so I can only imagine that would have just been a horrifying experience. And what do you think needs to be done so that GPs in particular are, are better prepared and they can help their patients be better prepared for these kinds of situations? We've certainly encouraged um, our older patients or patients who have pre-existing medical conditions and a number of comorbidities to make use of the electronic health record mm -hmm. because it's very easy to upload a health summary with their medications. A lot of patients don't really remember a lot of what they take or remember the doses. So I think the use of the electronic health record should certainly um, be encouraged um, and obviously, you know, pharmacies take advantage of that and local hospitals. Um, when patients have been seen in the local EDs, it's very useful if they've uploaded a discharge summary to the electronic health record as well. It certainly helps um, the GPs as well. Um, probably you know, like how people prepare for an emergency where they've got their important documents, packs. Um, obviously, if you've got any Webster packs or a list of your medications and your medications and scripts pre-prepared so in your last-minute panic you don't just forget things, which is what often happens. 
um, I guess if all agencies are working together in a coordinated way, that's a lot better than um, the right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing. Ourselves, like our practice, given that, like we had power got connected on Friday, Monday we came to work, the power was on for one hour and then it was cut off again. Mm. So um, we're actually now considering um, getting solar panels installed and having, um, you know, like Tesla battery walls or something, enough capacity so that if there was a blackout that we can actually run a medical practice independently with no power. Um, in the countryside, it's not unusual that you get interruptions to your power. And, um, you know, as I said, we've got a generator here, which we basically use to just run the vaccine fridge. But, um, you know, that's sort of not going to last um, all day or run for, a, for you know, you wouldn't want to be doing that for a week. So I guess, yeah, you've just got to, look at how you can have a plan B for, for possible problems that might arise. Mm, yeah, that's and, quite interesting. Yeah, um, and most patients have been very understanding when we've said to them that, you know, unfortunately at the moment we're not able to offer any um, vaccines Yet we're waiting for our new supplies to come from the public health. Um, but people um, can be redirected to the community health departments at the local hospital. And certainly um, public health had sent around flyers or emails to say that was what you could do for children who required their childhood vaccinations, that you could send them to the local community health um, centre at the local hospital, which which is good. Mm -hmm. And did you have some um, vaccines or supplies that got uh, ruined because you were out of power? Yes. Uh, basically, our data logger showed that the vaccine fridge had been without power for <clears throat> 216 hours. So basically, from the 31st of December until um, the 10th of January, and the data logger had shown that the temperature inside the fridge had basically got up to 26 degrees. So there was no way you were going to be able to be using those vaccines at all. Um, you know, it cost the government money for those vaccines. It would be probably thousands of dollars of vaccines that need to be um, replaced. And I saw in the news that Cobargo uh, became quite a political centre um, when the Prime Minister dropped by and some of the locals sure. were heckling him. Did you, as, as a GP, and, and did some of the other GPs have some thoughts around um, how this fire has become this, this massive political drama? Um, I can understand why people would be angry. You know, people are in shock. 
They've gone through a very, very traumatic experience. Um, and people often just say what they're thinking. Uh, certainly, I don't think the uh, comments about burning down Kirribilli House are appropriate. Um, not at all. And I don't think that particular comment or person is a good representative of this community as a whole. Uh, I just think that was a reflection of someone being angry. I don't think the <clears throat> Prime Minister is solely responsible for that. Uh, this, I don't think that's a reasonable <laughs> uh, perception of things. I think um, the community as a whole, the wider community of Australia, needs to be uh, looking at what's contributed to this. And, and it'll be a number of things. It, it's not going to be, if you did this, it's a simple fix. I mean, it's probably a combination of, one, the climate is actually getting hotter. Two, how do you ensure you've got adequate water supplies? Um, do desilinisation plants need to be looked into more? Do more sustainable farming practices need to be looked at? Obviously, how the forests are being managed needs to be looked at. So I think it's quite unreasonable to say one particular politician is... <laughs> responsible for what's happened or, or, you know, supposed mismanagement, but certainly, you know, reports in the media that, you know, the town's just full of ferals is, is not a true reflection of the town. I guess perhaps this is an opportunity for uh, Indigenous people to be um, given the opportunity to use their expertise to manage their own country, as in managing the forests. And certainly there's been, you know, lots of animals who've been, had their homes burnt down, you know, the koala populations around here, and, you know, the wallabies and the kangaroos and the wombats, and you see echidnas out on the road now during the day sort of wandering along the roadside um, so you know and their food's gone I imagine so it's great that the you know the wires service and you know people are helping out with making pouches for animals and um, yeah it's just happening.